0: Now it's been a while since we've been here, and I'm sure there's some of you that are going, "Boy, he he looks a little different. He, he actually looks a little gaunt." Um, well, since since I've been with you, I I, I I I have died a couple of times, and that'll take the wind out of your sails. Um, no, seriously, uh, this last uh, year and a half has been quite an adventure for us. Uh, December of, of 2021, uh, my pancreas got infected. Nobody knows why, uh, but he got infected and blew up and uh, just dumped all sorts of toxins and poisons and stuff throughout my body and uh, ended up a long time in the hospital. And uh, like I said, over the last year and a half have been in and out uh, a, a whole bunch. Just last Monday had another procedure done. And I think we've got is it like five weeks straight of, of coming up of no doctor's appointments and no poking and prodding? And yeah, I'm excited about that because about done with that. So, uh, but thank you uh, for, for all of your prayers for that. Um, we also, in in this time, uh, Debbie's still working at camp, but I've retired. It just didn't seem fair to camp for, for me to be completely out of the picture and and like I said, in and out of hospitals and kind of just absent. So I retired earlier than I'd planned on. And, um, you know, I'm warning something. All of you retired folks, you you keep saying how busy you are. and And, you know, the rest of us are like, you know, come on, you're retired. Wow, I had no idea. When you're retired, you're in charge of your own schedule and you forget to say no to stuff. And so you just man, retirement is a busy, busy time, but, uh, learning, learning how, how, how to manage it. Um, uh, so yeah, lots and lots of changes in this last year and a half. Uh, is still going, uh, fantastic. There's a, a huge group of fourth, fifth, and sixth graders there right now, and you guys have got a ton of kids coming to camp this summer, and, uh, We appreciate that and love that. And every single one of those kids, I think that's been one one of the successes uh, of Shamana. Every single one of those kids, when they come to camp, will hear the gospel. And at at summer camp, each one of them will not just hear it from the speaker, but have an individual time with their counselor, or junior counselor, where they review again the good news of Jesus and are given an opportunity to respond to that. That's important to us. So, oh, by the way, uh, thank you, worship team. That that's fun. Uh, Ian, Ian, and the girls of Grace. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> all right. And uh, I, I I love how you quarantine him in an aquarium there, and uh, can kind of keep him corralled. That's probably a good idea. And, uh, so, but thank you. That was good. Matthew chapter twenty eight. If you've got your Bibles or your phones, turn to that. Matthew chapter 28. i um, going to read the first 15 verses. Uh, well, yeah, it'll be incredibly familiar. Let me read them for us. After the Sabbath dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to uh, look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow, and the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he laid. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb and yet filled with joy and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell the, my brothers to go to Galilee. and There I will see them. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you're to say the disciples came during the night and stole them away while they were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated amongst the Jews this very day. Now, I know what you're thinking right away is, Herb, Easter was last Sunday, which that seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? I don't know how everything got packed into this week. But Herb, that's an Easter text. Easter's done has already happened. Well, that's not true. Easter impacts everything. And for us who follow Jesus, ought to impact every day. Easter's all the time. And I thought it'd be good for us, just as a sort of an echo, to review it one more time. But I want to look at the different responses of all the different people that are that are in that narrative. Now, we all know, you know just the typical responses of people to just about everything. If, you're, if you do have no, the notes there and you want to fill in the blanks, I, I got lots of fill-ins for you. The first are the skeptics. The skeptics, you know those people, they always choose the negative, don't they? Um, there are things that we should be skeptical about, and, and, and that's good, but these guys choose to be skeptical about everything. You know those people, don't you? And it gets a little tiring, doesn't it? I have, uh, uh, years ago, had a friend from New York, and we were at a camp, we were both up early, and we were out in this field watching this beautiful sunrise come up over this field. And there was mist in the uh, you know, um, um, along the grass and, and and the grains of the field there. And and I just commented on what a gorgeous morning. And his response was, "Well, yeah, I guess from an agricultural point of view." And I thought, like, "What? <laughs> what?" And he smiled, he says, Herb, I'm from New York. I go, okay, okay, yeah, that's just kind of his attitude, I guess, and a lot of Easterners, uh, they're just skeptics about everything. The second kind of people in your notes there are the deniers. Uh, They're beyond the skeptics. They won't even consider that something might be true. The only standard of truth for them is what they believe. You can give them all the truth you want, but their response is no, that's not true. That's not true. Anything that disagrees with them. Uh, we live in that world right now with politics, don't we? Oh, how tiring and how frustrating. They just confronted with truth. Nope, that's not the truth, because this is what I believe, and you have to believe what I believe. The deniers. The third, uh, the third group uh, I've labeled the cautious acceptors, the cautious acceptors. They agree and they accept, but always with a little reservation. They're leaning towards acceptance, but they want more proof. And, And, you know, that's not a bad place to be. That's not necessarily a bad thing. They're, they're, yeah, you know, I believe that. I, I, that sounds true. I just want to inspect it a little bit more. In fact, didn't Paul compliment the, the Bereans about that? He preached, he shared, and they said, Oh, that sounds good. That's really good news. We're going to double-check the scriptures to make sure that that's right. So that that's not a bad place to be. The fourth one that I put in your notes there are the immediate acceptors. The immediate acceptors. These folks accept everything is true. Now, the internet is a dangerous place for these people. Yeah, uh, especially with with uh, what are they AI uh, automatic intel- no uh, artificial intelligence, you know, uh, becoming so rampant. Uh, any internet cure or quick rich scheme—that's uh, their bread and butter. Oh yeah, no, I I saw it online, so it must be true. The immediate acceptors. Now, that's a good thing when it comes to trusting God. If there's a command in scripture or a way of how life works best, those folks don't ask questions, they just do. And, and in fact, that's, that's the whole theme or one of the themes, the major themes of the book of Proverbs. Obedience comes before Understanding and again you know how many times have you found yourself in the, in that situation where well well god i'm willing to follow but i just don't get it i want to understand no no proverbs says you obey first immediate acceptors and then once you obey understanding often comes now our text this morning gives us i think those four examples of responses from the different groups of, of people uh, immediately following the resurrection there Scott preached on Easter Sunday when he spoke about the evidences for the resurrection but today I want to look a little deeper at the people's responses because you have to respond to Easter you have to respond to the resurrection you you don't have a choice now Look at the response of the guards. Uh, The response of the guards is the first one in your notes there. They fear and they lie. You ever done that? Maybe not a full-on lie, but kind of told a a half-truth to kind of protect yourself. And many of us have found that trying to keep a lie straight is a lot of work, isn't it? you 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 told a lie, and you got to remember oh yeah that 's the way i that 's the way i i i fashioned that story uh, and the uh, the poor guards had to uh tell that lie and continue in that lie that 's a tough story to keep going in fact uh chuck colson the the late chuck colson uh, of watergate fame and uh Uh, The the whole Watergate lies. He said that an inability to keep a lie going was one of the primary elements that caused him to trust what the Bible writers wrote was true. His experience in Watergate pushed him towards being a believer? Well, this is what he said. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed the truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. The story began to circulate amongst the Jews that the guards had been paid off. They couldn't keep their their lie straight. The guards were trying to save their own skin. They had a triple whammy going. If they had said, we lost the body that would have resulted in their death. If they had said, we fell asleep, that would have resulted in their death. If they said, you know, we saw what happened, and now we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that confession would have resulted in their death as well. I mean, those guys had no good options, and so they chose one of the worst responses. They lied about it. And in that moment, we see that the chief priests helped them to, to choose their lie, but they chose to go along with the story the disciples had stolen the body. Now, how a ragtag group of untrained guys overwhelmed a group of soldiers seems a little sketchy, doesn't it? Again, like I said, that lie would have had to had more lies added to it. Maybe, maybe they said, uh, well, you know, they gathered a whole huge crowd and just overwhelmed us. Well, really? Uh, no, nobody, nobody saw a mob that night. It, and it must have been quite a, a huge mob, a huge group of people to overcome and armed a battalion of soldiers. Well, well, they, they, they tricked us. They distracted us. Really? Again? Uh, They were that clever? No, they were just common folks and fishermen. So the guards uh, had to lie to save their own skin, but they did choose uh, to lie. The response of the women, uh, what do you see there? Well, the response of the women was to believe with fear and with joy. You'll see a little typo in your notes there. It's supposed to say, belief doesn't mean that there are not times of fear. But I think fear, uh, the fear believers experience when dealing with God isn't the terrified jump scare of movies, but an overwhelming sense of awe. So they believed, but it does say, both with joy and fear, And that sometimes happens in the presence of God. We believe, but are at times a little terrified. And like I said, not not like the jump jump scare of movies, but an overwhelming sense of awe. That sense of I'm in the presence of holiness and I am not worthy to stand here. We have the example of Moses in front of the burning bush. You know, he, he was just perplexed. What is going on? This thing is burning, but not. And and then he hears the voice of God and he realizes he's standing in the presence of holiness. I think it's the same response the Samaritans have when, when Jesus casts all those demons out of legion. Uh, there's a little phrase in there where it says that they asked Jesus to leave their area. I, I, I've heard it explained that you know because they were upset, he had just destroyed their economy with the death of two thousand pigs. But I don't think that's what it was. They were Samaritans. They understood their lowly state. They 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 were only partly Jews. So the Jews hated them, and and because they were partly Jews, the Gentiles hated them. They knew that they were uh, uh, an unworthy people, but this Jesus was so holy, and in their presence that they asked him to leave. That we're, we're not worthy that at, worthy to have you around us. And what's I think interesting is that Jesus agrees with them. He says, "Yeah, you're right." That means you're well on the way to understanding salvation. That you need a Jesus, you need a Savior, and, and He does does leave their area. I've got a little bit of my own story in that. Uh, like I said, this last year and a half has been uh, something. Um, I, I I truly have died. Uh, well. Number of years, eight years ago now I had a cardiac arrest at, at camp, right right there in the dining hall during a men's retreat. The speaker said, Wow, that really focuses a group. Uh, and then uh, we know of two, my, my doctor says three times in this last year and a half. And you know, I always get asked, So so when you died and got revived, did, did you see anything? And and early on my response always was no. But then, if people were listening, uh, I followed it up with well actually i I don't remember, because there was something there, there was something, and uh, that was with my heart attack, and then in these last three times, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I can tell you, wow, this is always hard. I've not been able to share this with a big group yet. Um, I can tell you what glimpses of heaven look like. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, I got to see some people. That love Jesus and that I loved and our family loved that have gone on before us. And I tell you what. They look so good and healthy. Like life like you've never seen life before in them. Um, yeah, we won't go into that. Just all the different people. But I'll tell you three things. That I know to be true. Uh, number one, heaven is beautiful. And I didn't see much. But the light, the light is just so different in heaven. It's so beautiful and golden and clear. Number two, I can tell you, the peace, the comfort is overwhelming. It truly is a peace that passes all understanding. To stand there and just bask in this, this peace of everything is right, everything is good. And, and and the third thing is I promise you that when the believer, when you, if you know and love Jesus, when you step into heaven, you will not be alone. It's not a private experience at all. You will be surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You won't be alone. You can celebrate that when... When a loved one that you know, uh, who loves Jesus, steps into heaven, you can be assured that they are seeing beauty, that they are experiencing peace, and that they are with a great cloud of witnesses that they know and love. The women believed but they were also terrified, but it was an awestruckness they They knew they were in the presence of holiness when they saw the angels and when they saw Jesus let's move on number three the responses of the chief priest and the synagogue elders the response the response of the chief priest and the synagogue el- elders. Uh, was one of denial. They were the deniers and the liars and they had to cover up the lies and they had to spread a rumor about the disciples. They were the epitome of those people that we mentioned that they will do anything to keep from being confronted with the truth. That's your other blank there. They'll do anything to to keep from being confronted with the truth we'd mentioned how much work it is to keep a lie going and lies lead to other lies. They had to pay the soldiers a great sum of money to keep quiet. Now, how did they account for that in the temple books? Hmm, how did they rewrite that expenditure so it didn't show up as a cover-up? And I wonder how many of the soldiers had some reservations about it and later on wondered if indeed Christ had been resurrected and now they were terrified over what they had done. And it's at that point that we run in to the atheist dilemma of what if you're wrong? Now, it, 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 this seems trite. But for the believer, let's say that we're wrong. Now, I'm I am absolutely convinced with every cell in my body that we're not. But what if we are? What damage is there? But what if the atheist is wrong? That's the atheist dilemma: is what if you're wrong? The consequences are eternal, and the chief priests and the synagogue officials and uh, and the soldiers at that point as well. I'm sure that at some point they had to contemplate that. Uh, this little tangent here in my in my last hospital stay. Uh, uh, Got an infection and and all sorts of stuff. But anyways, the I I thought I was in the hospital because of this infection because of having to change pick lines and all that sort of thing, and, and and I think we discovered nope, that's not why I was in the hospital this last time. It was for my roommate, who was an aggressive atheist, who while I was there, got word from his doctor that he had terminal cancer. And wow, for the five days that we laid there did our conversation change. And this aggressive atheist would not stop asking questions about the Jesus, who he didn't believe in. But he had lots of questions. And I think we moved the needle a bit. Been in contact with him a little bit since. What if you're wrong? Well, finally, we see the responses of the disciples that I called a cautious acceptance. Now, Scott pointed out last week how the, how the testimony in court from a woman was deemed worthless, and yet that's who Jesus chooses to be the first, the first announcers of His resurrection, and it's to the disciples, and and they want to believe. They're those cautious acceptors. But they have to go look for themselves. They were hopeful enough to go and see for themselves. And you remember after that, Thomas was willing to believe. He wanted to believe once he could see the evidence of the nail scars in Jesus' hand and the spear hole in his side. And you know what? I appreciate Thomas. He always gets a bad rap, but I, I appreciate him. You know, I want to believe, but, but I want to make sure. And so he gives that to us. And Jesus appears and says, Tom, look. Uh, the disciples are those cautious acceptors. And like I said, I'm okay with people who are considering Christianity, but want to prove and, and do their own research as long as they do their research. You know, again, you know those people. Well, I, you know, boy, it. I, I just, I just want to investigate a bit more, and then they never do. Uh, I always challenge them on that. You know, kind of related to that. Uh, uh, you know during hunting season you 've got buddies that that go hunting and 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 skip Sunday morning, and you ask them about it, and then, well, I can worship God just as much in a tree stand as in church. I always ask them, "Oh, so tell me what did you worship last week, and what did you learn about Jesus in your deer stand uh, i I'm okay with people who are considering Christianity but want to do more research as long as they do their research. Referenced earlier, Chuck Colson and the disciples were convinced and proved their conviction by paying dearly for it, even to death. So what's your response? Hmm. Because you do have to have a response even if you're if you're already a believer following Jesus you you have to have a response uh, a few years ago i had the chance to do a bible study through the gospel of mark my favorite gospel cuz it's really short in my bible it's only 17 pages you can read it in one sitting and Mark is that gospel of immediacy. He just plows through stuff and doesn't give lots of explanations, but just dumps the whole thing. And and I got to have a Bible study with a group of non-believers. It was so much fun. And their response was amazing. You know how how Mark ends kind of abruptly, especially if you take off the last 20 verses that that were probably added by a scribe later, Uh, Mark ends right here. Mark ends with this very same passage that, and the women went to the tomb and it was empty and they talked to an angel and and Jesus was gone. And it just, boom, ends. Which, I mean, I went to Bible college. You know, we studied that and never really came up with a great answer. These non-believers had the most wonderful evaluation of it when I asked them. So it kind of ends abruptly. They said, well, no, that makes total sense. And I'm going, okay, how? And they said, well, Herb, all throughout this book, uh, Mark keeps saying, here's something Jesus did. Do you think he's the Messiah? Here's something Jesus did. Do you think he's the Messiah? Here's something Jesus did. Do you think he's the Messiah? And now he's come to the end. Uh, Here, Jesus, there's an empty tomb. He rose from the dead. What do you think? I thought, that's genius. You must respond, and ignoring is not an option. And if you happen to be here this morning, and you have not trusted Jesus as your Savior, you have to respond, and it could be today. Right now, right sitting where you are, you could say, you know what, Jesus? I don't understand it all, but yeah. Yeah. You're the Redeemer, and I need a Redeemer. And that could be today. And if that is you, grab somebody after the service and say, hey, I want to talk more about this. But even if you are a believer, you will regularly be confronted with how to put your faith into action. Uh, Do you trust Jesus for your safety or not? You can't control everything. Mom, oops. (laughs) Did I say that out loud? There are times when I got to let my kid go. And I tell you what, if they're following Jesus, they couldn't be in a safer place. Because as much as you love your kid, Jesus loves him or her more than you do. Imagine that. Do you trust Jesus? We it don't have time for the story now, but you know, a number of years ago we had a home invasion. Guy came into our house with a gun, tied us up, robbed us, all sorts of stuff. And and when that hit the news, by the way, by the way, if that ever happens to you, call your mother before she sees it on the evening news. <laughs> Hindsight. But online in the Star and Tribune, there's a place where people can make comments. And there were some people that made comments like, What an idiot! He should have had a gun, could have protected his family. You know, he could have shot the guy. And I thought, You know what? I believe Jesus is stronger than bullets. I really do. As a believer, as you follow Jesus, do you really trust him for your safety? Um, As the Holy Spirit prompts you to do things, do you respond? Uh, Debbie's sister's husband uh, was killed in a tragic accident a few years ago. And... uh, you know, as a, as a young man in a young family, and and uh, as Debbie was there one day with with just to be with her sister, a couple of women from church showed up at the house, and one of them had a Costco size toilet paper, you know, the the way you buy things at Costco and and Sam's Club, huge, and another one had a big Costco size box of Kleenexes, and, and you know, it was like, okay, well, thanks. But you know what? As all sorts of people were coming through the house in the days to follow, that's exactly what was needed. And I thought, you know, those wonderful women, I'm sure they couldn't explain it either, but they just had this prompting from the Holy Spirit that, you know, we need to go see Lisa and we need to give our love to her and we need to bring Kleenexes and toilet paper. A lot of times we don't follow the urgings of the Holy Spirit because we think, oh, I'm going to look dumb. But you know what? We hesitate because we don't want to feel dumb, but it's not about you. It's about following the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times we discount our gift. Whatever gifting it is the Holy Spirit has given us, a lot of times we discount it because it isn't as flashy as somebody else's. And your gift may be exactly what a person or a situation at the time needs. The body of Christ needs your gift. Don't ever discount that. If the Holy Spirit is urging you... We, even as believers, have tons of opportunity to respond to what the Holy Spirit is prompting. We get to respond to what Easter means. Maybe it means giving generously when prompted. Uh, we have a young couple who made a major major gift to camp. It was they're a young couple. I had no idea they had the capacity to do. This. Capacity to do that and and when i spoke with him and said are you sure you really want to do this because you're a young family it might be good to be you know preparing long term and the husband's response was so beautiful he said herb we have the money now so we want to give it now i don't know if we'll have it in retirement that's beautiful the Holy Spirit was prompting them to give, and so they did and and maybe that's something that the Holy Spirit is working in your life on that you know what? grace community needs something now, and that's my body, and that's where I want to be part of, and so we're going to give now. so what's your response? What's your response to the good news, the gospel? What is your daily response to Easter? Because Easter never ends. Easter impacts us every single day. What's your response? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that indeed you impact every single day of our lives. Help us to not forget that. Help us to not get wrapped up in all the busyness and the hustle and bustle of stuff. But help us to bask in the joy of your salvation. You provided it to us and may it impact us every single day. Amen. Amen.